Hello and welcome to Housewives and Me, a podcast about why we love the real housewives. I am your host, Connor Bean, and thank you, as always, for joining me for another new episode of the show. I have had a crazy couple of weeks moving house. I left an apartment I had been in for nine years, so you can imagine how discombobulating that has been. So I wanted to be more active in like really hyping the show up in social media the last couple of weeks. I have not had the time. So the fact that episodes have been going out and you're all still listening is a minor miracle considering <laughs> I thought at one point I was like, I am just going to be unpacking and packing boxes for the rest of my life. You know, when you're in the middle of something like that and you're just like, oh my, oh my God, I'll never get over this. Anyway, it's sorted. I'm slowly settling in. And of course, I've been keeping up with my housewives, keeping up with my interviews for the show and all that good stuff. And this week's guest, I'm not going to talk too much in the intro because I have so much from this week's guest I want you to hear. Uh, this week's guest is, of course, the amazing Brian Moylan. You will know him from recapsorvulture.com of various Housewives shows. He has popped up on many a Housewives podcast. He ghost wrote Erica Jane's book. Believe me, we got into that and Erica Jane in general. I know you're probably like, Connor, stop talking about Erica Jane on the podcast. I get it. But when the ghostwriter of Erica's book is, being, is willing to be interviewed, you know what? It's going to come up. What can I say? Um, Brian's own book is called The Housewives, The Real Story Behind the Real Housewives. It is out on the 25th of May. I'm going to pop a pre-order link to that in the show notes for this episode if you are like me, sweating to read that when it finally lands in May as well. But as I said, I'm not going to talk much more because this interview is so good and I want to leave in as much of it as I can. So here is this week's special guest. It is Brian Moylan on Housewives and Me. My guest today is a journalist. He is the writer of what I would consider quite legendary Real Housewives recaps for Vulture.com. He ghost wrote Erica Jane's book, Pretty Mess, and he's the self-appointed founder of the Real Housewives Institute. And this May, he releases his book, The Housewives, billed as the real story behind the Real Housewives. So, you know, today we're going to get some tea. Brian Moylan, welcome to Housewives and Me. Um, Thank you so much for having me. It's interesting because you are obviously an American journalist and you're writing about this very American TV phenomenon, but you have lived in the UK for the past few years. So what's it been like being in the UK and like <laughs> talking to people about like a very American phenomenon? Have you noticed people are getting more and more into it? I have. So at the start of the pandemic, Netflix put like the first two seasons of a bunch of the shows on like... um almost all of the house, like New York, Atlanta, Beverly Hills, stuff like that. And so a lot mm-hmm. of people I know who I've met here started watching it then. And I don't know if it's like they started um, watching it because they know me and they know I'm into the housewives or if they just started watching it because it was on Netflix. But it was weird because in, you know, I lived in New York for a long time and, you know, people would say, what do you do? And I say, oh, I, I, you know, I write about television. What do you write about? Oh, I write a lot about reality television, the real housewives, et cetera. Either people be like, oh, I don't watch that, or people are super into it and you talk to them about it and, you know, so on and so forth. But here, yeah, it's not, it, it wasn't that big, big of a deal. So people would be like, oh, I vaguely know what that is, but I don't watch it. So it was really kind of a strange transition to go from like talking about the housewives fairly often in random social situations to having nobody know what I do for a living. Yeah, it's actually, it's funny because I have the, like, because I'm, because I'm not American, I have the opposite experience where if I bring it up people, 
nine times out of ten, I'm like, they don't know what it is. But when they do, I'm like, you and I, you and I, we're going to be friends. They could be an awful person. I'm like, you and I, we need to have a half hour about like whatever one scene or one character. Well, and I found that because it's not that big of a deal here, the people that are into it are super into it and they just want to talk about it and so on and so forth. So the people that I've met that are into it, I think we've become even better friends because we just talk about that all I always ask this of guests when they come on. I'm so curious how you started, but how did you get into Real Housewives in general? Like before you even started recapping it, like what was your entryway? So I, um, I actually write about this in my book, but um, I was a big fan of Bravo because of like Project Runway mm-hmm. and Top Chef and the things they were doing at the time. And so I had... Um, TV and I would just like leave the TV on Bravo and just like watch it, you know, while I was around the house because it was kind of my go-to channel. And then Shane Keogh showed up shirtless one day on my television. And I was like, who is this Greek (laughs) God on my television screen? I need to know everything about this. And so I started watching and it was uh, of course the Real Housewives of Orange County. And then I eventually stopped watching for Shane Keogh well, not entirely, but <laughs> a little <laughs> bit and started watching, you know, for the Real Housewives. And so, yeah, I was in from the beginning. Um, yeah. And just kind of started watching all of them. And, you know, because I've just watched so much Bravo, just kind of adopted them all. And then I probably started writing recaps when I was at Gawker around like 2011. So and Real Housewives of Orange County debuted in like 2006. So you've been there really from the beginning and obviously you've been recapping it sounds like well if by your dates like for a decade does recapping the shows change how you watch them does it change the enjoyment factor or is it just a brilliant combination of having a job and getting to watch your favorite shows it's some of each because I don't recap all of them I do uh, Orange County Beverly Hills New York I'm doing New Jersey for the first time now Um, but uh so I don't recap all of them. And the ones that I recap, I'm like watching very intently and I'm taking notes and I'm thinking of jokes and I'm analyzing and, you know, it's like really plugged in. It's not like when you just sit and watch television, it's actually as stupid as it sounds. It's like working. Whereas the ones that I don't recap, I just get to watch and enjoy and look at my phone and do stupid shit and laugh. And, you know, so it is different experience of viewing it, but I do think that, I am viewing it in a much deeper way than most people and really analyzing it and like thinking about each episode and, and remembering all the things that happened because I wrote about them and engaging with it in a different way. So I think it's, it sometimes it's a pain in the ass, but it's often a deeper way into it than um, a lot of people have. For sure. I, I feel like in a way it's probably hard to turn the recap switch off, even if, as you say, it's a city, you're not recapping that season. Your brain is probably still half like, oh, look at the themes here. Like, <laughs> No, I'm happy usually to turn it off. But I do, you know, I am thinking a little bit about that because in my, you know, most of the people that watch one watch several, if not them all. So, you know, I'm often re- mentioning things that happened in other, you know, like, oh, what Bethany did here is like what Nini did here. And so even when I'm not watching, I am kind of, you know, taking it all in. But I will say I gave up on Dallas. 
Sorry, Dallas. Oh, I was actually, because I was going to ask you about the shows, you're not recapping, just because obviously if you're recapping shows, we as as fans of your work kind of know where you are. I was going to ask, where are you with Dallas and why did you stop watching? I just got bored somewhere halfway through last season and was like, you know what? I just, no, thanks. And um, and even though I loved Leanne Locken as wrong and racist as she may be, I think she is one of the all-time greats. But And then she was gone, and I watched an episode or two of this one, and I was like, oh, I can't with you. And so I just said no. Much like Atlanta, which we'll obviously get to in a second, like Dallas, you can just see watching it how they're trying to work around COVID so much and how much it's hit the flow of the show. And I only think, ironically... At the time we're talking, the most recent episode where they go away for Carrie's birthday, and there's a that was the first time this season where I went, the girls are back. Like the show has a flow. Like I don't blame you for ducking it early because it was one of those things every week where I was like, well, okay, I'll give it another week. <laughs> like it just it hasn't <laughs> been hasn't been popping really this year. Yeah, well, and to be fair, if I weren't getting paid to watch Orange County, I think I would have given up on it several seasons ago. But you know, got to pay that rent. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, that's the. I think that's the way many of us would have watched the most recent OC season. What did you yeah. think of that one? Because I was reading, I was kind of rereading some of your recaps yesterday. Like particularly funny to read kind of the finale one because since then we had a reunion and there's been more shows since. Like it does feel like OC was a bit of a damn squib of a season, and I actually don't know if it was COVID or just the cast in general or a combo of both. I think the cast in general was facing a hard time going into it and then COVID really derailed it. I think the problem was there was no like center to the cast. You know, there there wasn't anything yeah. like bringing all of these women together and their relationship if anything was that of coworkers and I think that, you know, Gina and uh, Emily have a, a real friendship. You know, they met on the show, but they seem like they're real friends. But outside of that, it's like the only reason these women are putting up with each other is to be on the show. And I think that really came through uh, once COVID hit. And then it's like of all the people to be living through the early stages of COVID with, I mean, the real housewives of Orange County, like <laughs> Shannon Bedore is so medically inept that she got an enema stuck in her ass. And like, we're going to have to listen to her deal with COVID. Like, no, thank you. Especially what, you know, it's like, and those early days were so scary and so weird. And none of us knew what were ha- what was happening. And to have to relive like that specific part of the pandemic with these women in particular, I found, I won't say traumatic because that's kind of a hard word, but a little bit difficult. <laughs> that's very diplomatic. Yeah, I struggle with this season, but in a weird way. I quite liked that middle chunk where they showed COVID hitting them only because I was kind of like, this feels like a weird time capsule that you could look back on in 10 years because the rest of their actual storylines were so nothingy because they were clearly only finding their rhythm just when it hit, which is the irony too. Like if they maybe had two more weeks filming, I think they might've gotten away with more, but it was funny at first just watching them all self shoot and like have to do really like really grim reveals about their like health status yes. or things going on on their own iPhones. I was like, this is so dark. Like this is so scary. Yeah. It was totally, it was like a different show. It wasn't what we were promised. And, you know, I mean, they did what, what they could and I appreciate that, but yeah. And, and I just think that also then on the back side of that, they couldn't really get everyone together as a group. You know, and even when they tried to go on that vacation, you know, Shannon couldn't go and Emily couldn't go. And 
Yeah, so it was just like weird in that you got these little like ones and twos talking about each other and you really want the show to have more of a group dynamic. Yeah, that's it. Because it is like every Housewife City, even, I mean, you mentioned the center character, which I do think is really important, but they're ensembles and the less time they spend together, the less fun it is. That's just the reality yes. of it. No pun intended. Absolutely. Um, it's You brought up there how you kind of joked that if you weren't recapping OC, you would have kind of fallen off. But one of the things I do enjoy when I watch a, a season of a show I'm not enjoying, but there's podcasts and people like you writing about it is I kind of watch it to see what you're going to say. So like when a season's Aww. a bit... Well, there you, but that's part of the fun of it, you know? Like, yeah. But I'm curious for, for you writing about a season that's maybe not so hot. Are you like, oh my God, this is torture? Or is it still kind of fun to write about it because you know people will still want to talk about how shit it is. Do you know, like it's not, I'm tr- it's a tricky one. Yeah. Well, it's, and it's hard, you know, I've found writing recaps and I've done shows that I really didn't like or a season I really didn't like. Particularly, I was doing American Horror Story for a number of years and like, it's so bad. And I'd just be like, this show is awful. Here are all the ways that it's awful. And the people reading <laughs> the recaps are like, well, why are you reading this? Like, we're, you know, why are you writing this? Like, we're not reading this because we hate the show. We're reading it because we love the show. So you can only get like so negative. But I do think that with Housewives fans, they do realize that there are sort of peaks and valleys, peaks and valleys, you know, and that it's always going up and down. So they're a little bit more forgiving when you're like, oh, this is so annoying or I hate this person or whatever. But I do still try to find the fun bits, you know, whether it's, some weird lady standing in the background or it's some stupid outfit that Kelly Dodd wore or, you know, just trying to find the things to talk about, to have fun with, to riff on. And I mean, my editors at Vulture are very forgiving. They really let me do and say whatever I want and, you know, just kind of go crazy. So, you know, it does allow me the freedom as a writer to experiment and just be nuts and make stupid jokes and do things that, in places where they're, you know, I don't want to say their editorial standards are higher. There's more editorial oversight, <laughs> you know, <laughs> wouldn't let me get away with. So, you know, so that always makes it fun and that I can just kind of, you know, be as nasty as I want to be. Yeah. And it's funny because my editor um, doesn't watch Housewives at all. And so like all she knows about the Real Housewives is through my recaps. And Sometimes she'll be like, did this really happen or are you joking? And I was like, oh, no, that really happened. And she's like, oh, okay. I don't know. I'm presuming you saw this week's episode of Atlanta, which, I mean, I watch yeah. a lot of Housewives just as a fan. And I am not joking when I say I cannot stop thinking about this. Now, this will probably go out a bit later. It's basically the episode where it all goes down with Bolo the Stripper, Candy Sex Dungeon, the CCTV footage. I'm still thinking about it. The fact that it was oh, like over the typical episode length. The editing, the basic instinct homages. I just, I need your oh thoughts on Atlanta this season, but this episode in particular. <laughs> I thought at first, I was like, oh, they're going to do this. This is stupid. And then as they were doing it more and more, I was like, okay, I'm really into this. Because Same. Atlanta, yeah. more than any of them, is a comedy. You know, and there's yeah. lots of drama, etc. But those women make me laugh so hard, like nothing else on television. And so, yeah, and I watched it last night with my husband and we were just cackling and laughing and oh my god bolo and that enormous penis and i couldn't believe they were showing it and i also love how the women went to such lengths to be like are you cutting filming 
are you shutting it down? Yes, we're taping yes. over the cameras. We're taking our mics off. And still the producers were like, bitch, we got this one camera on the porch <laughs> and we're going to show you through the window with little arrows to show what you were doing. And we have the mics in the house. Like, I mean, they did those ladies dirty, but I mean, thank God for them. But I also feel like um, in researching the book, I you know, a lot, a lot of people think that, oh, the producers did this or the producers are manipulating it in this way or they told them to do this. And I found that often the Real Housewives are actually less fake than we even than we think they are. If anybody is trying to orchestrate a storyline going in one direction or another, it's the women themselves and the producers are sort of following that. And so the fact that Kenya went on and on about Bolo Court and who was in there and I need to talk about this and whatever. If she hadn't done that and just kept her mouth shut, I don't think they would have been able to do that. But because Kenya made it into such a big thing, like that's what the story dictated. And so they had to go back and look through all the footage, et cetera. And so I think that the women should be real pissed at Kenya. But I can't believe that all those women were like macking on each other. And I don't know, yeah. man. Like... I have so I have a really weird slutty group of homosexual male friends and even we wouldn't go that far. I know and it's funny because I mean in some ways it's it's a serious conversation in some ways it's not but like on as you would know having watched all of it Real Housewives is a weird show when it comes to like anything remotely gay or queer in the sense that like gay men are often accessories they can be transphobic yeah. and oftentimes a lot of the women clearly have some kind of possible bisexual broader than just straight inklings but it's always played for last or it's never taken seriously and i was watching that episode being like these girls are very sexually fluid i'm so here for this go off but i'm also like wow like even portia kind of jokingly saying like i guess off kind of off camera but on mic saying oh i'm a whole lesbian now like clearly a lot of these women are a lot more comfortable with their sexuality than they would maybe initially talk about on the show Oh, absolutely. And I think we saw that. Well, I mean, Candy has really talked about how she's into all sorts of crazy shit. And, Mm -hmm. you know, there was that whole thing with Portia and Candy and how Portia wanted Candy to make out with her. You know, yes, yes. So, yeah, I do think we see those kind of inclinations. But I was also thinking about that in terms of their body positivity and that, you know, there none of the women have what we would consider a convention you know what we're told is a conventionally attractive body though they are obviously you know quite attractive but then they're in these tiny little outfits that candy gave them with their asses and titties hanging out and just do not give a fuck and i really appreciate that about the ladies of atlanta and i'm i'm curious to see where this is gonna all go i mean obviously they can be like oh we were just drunk and playing around and whatever whatever but because it sounds like a lot of the like slutty action wasn't even centered around bolo it wasn't like oh you know we're both getting on with bolo and we're gonna touch it just seems like the ladies wanted to get it on with each other which is like okay but why now (laughs) you know like what what has been going on under the surface that we didn't see here yeah, it's inter- yeah, it's funny because in a way, Parmi is like, oh, they were all just drunk and horny and it's a bit of fun, but it's also just, it's, I mean, as you pointed out earlier, 
when they were covering the cameras and really being like to production, so you're going now, right? Like, yeah. they clearly all had, not premeditated is the wrong word, that has a sinister tone, but like, they all knew they were going to act a little bit out of character and a bit wild. And it's just, yeah, it's really interesting because in a way, Kenya's insistence the next day on finding out who was having sex in this room feels a bit almost like who cares, but also, as you say, in a way it's, a treat for the story like it will push right. because maybe on some level Kenya was like I just don't feel like anything we filmed is not popping I need to make sure we have a second half of this season <laughs> yeah. I don't know or maybe she's just a nosy asshole I mean I in that situation I would kind of be like okay who is fucking in there but I probably wouldn't have made as much of production as Kenya did but I also appreciate oddly that you know I I have always preached that you know, they need to be vulnerable and they need to give it all to the camera and you need to, you know, be willing to show everything. But I, the more, the further we get into this phenomenon, the more I think that they do need to have things that they just aren't going to talk about or do on the show. And so I almost appreciate them being like, okay, we want to just get wild and drunk and do whatever we want, even not even knowing if they're going to hook up or what, but that they wanted to have some time where they could just be themselves and not have to worry about what's going to be on camera and what's being filmed. So, yeah. And do you think that's because then when they are on the show, they can be themselves more or because we should actually like that maybe having a bit of a boundary makes them a bit more mysterious. Like, cause in a way, yeah, the more you put out there, the more interesting you are, but now everybody does that on social media all day. So like sometimes mystery is also kind of enticing. Yes. And, and the, you know, I, when I interviewed some housewives, one of their pet peeves would would be that the producers often know the answer to a question. And, you know, it's like, did they or did they not hook up? Or, you know, is what this person said a lie or not? And they won't reveal the answer on the show because they want the fans to be like, oh, well, I think that she did hook up with Bolo or I think she didn't hook up with Bolo. And they want them to fight about it and discuss it. And that makes the show a bit more interesting. And so I do think that you want a little bit of mystery because you're always going to have fans on one side or the other. And I think those are the really interesting conversations that we're going to have. And that's what separates this from you know, a scripted drama where it's like, okay, clearly Tony Soprano did this or did not do this because you see it, you know? And whereas with this, there's always that what is real and what isn't. And I think that is kind of what keeps us coming back as viewers, always trying to figure it out and really getting into it deeper. And actually I, um, so I interviewed a bunch of academics for my book and I talked about this with one media critic and she said that she thinks that reality shows, particularly shows like The Real Housewives, actually, you know, people always say, oh, that's making you dumb. That's, you know, making you dumber. It's actually making you smarter because you have to like investigate, you know, what really happened and, and triangulating what happened on the show with what they say on social media, with what they say on Watch What Happens Live, with what they say on the reunion and trying to find out the whole story for yourself. And so it's actually in some ways more engaging than what, you know, scripted television fare. 
Well, first of all, that academic has made me feel really good about doing this podcast. <laughs> so shout out, shout out to that academic. But also, I, I mean, of course, I'm going to agree. But like with that idea, but I do think that's a, a point about housewives in particular that gets lost on. I mean, even say the people you would know in the UK now who are only getting to it or don't know about it. That it requires once you get into the rhythm of podcasts, watch what happens live, a reunion. I mean, they don't do the blogs anymore because they have their own social media. But even right. just having to have a kind of a degree of savvy around well that was heavily edited and they've clearly frankenstein was that frankenbiter as a phrase yeah yeah where they take like and i even now because i'm editing a podcast regularly you know hearing how they've chopped i was so happy to see like those kind of things yeah you have to actually to really like go there and enjoy it fully i think you have to be like watching a lot and thinking about a lot at once it's actually for me sometimes it's not as turn on tune in drop out as ironically some scripted shows would be so yeah, yeah. it's highbrow it's highbrow love that's how i feel about it right uh, yeah no and that's what one of my things is always that you know people always roll their eyes at reality television oh that's a waste of your time and whatever and it's like fuck you like i'm into it <laughs> you know it's like americans into to american football it's like oh they think that this is a great pastime but those people are literally getting concussions and killing themselves for your entertainment you know like the housewives <laughs> are no better or worse than that so like shut the fuck up and let me enjoy my housewives you know like it's not hurting anybody except maybe the housewives and their children and families and relationships and <laughs> <laughs> but not me i'm not getting hurt exactly i'm um... fine <laughs> I feel like that too sometimes actually I remember when I was getting this idea going I was like will I really be able to get like an hour a week out of Real Housewives and I, I work for a radio station here and I was like think of how much sports coverage you hear on radio stations in this country every day I was like you know what I'm doing a podcast on Real Housewives like it's absolutely that like but yeah that academic has made me feel a lot better about my day yeah so there's a whole chapter in the book um, and I talked to a bunch of academics and you know, about the problems that people have with Real Housewives, like it's anti-feminist and it's, you know, uh, the racial politics are bad and, you know, there are bad examples of black women and reality shows are stupid. And so it's just kind of people like defending those notions that the public has about um, and even some fans have about the housewives and saying like how what you thought about them is wrong and that if you enjoy this thing, just like like I hate when people call it a guilty pleasure, like don't take any guilt in your pleasure. Like if you enjoy the housewives, enjoy the housewives, like don't listen to all those assholes out there who are telling you that what you enjoy is somehow less than what they enjoy. Like that's bullshit. Just fucking enjoy it i agree and also i think you can watch something that's quote-unquote trashy whatever and also watch it smartly and have fun with it and people often forget that fact so i co-sign that statement and you are (laughs) (laughs) you are now getting to shows you are recapping and i'm excited to talk about this on a number of levels mainly because i think you and i share a controversial real housewives opinion and i'm glad to have some backup in this field so you're recapping real housewives in new jersey starting with see not starting with but with the season 11 premiere you're back on that beat you mentioned in the recap you haven't done it for a while and you also mentioned in the recap and i'm glad someone else is saying this that you are not really a fan of one Teresa judice who of course is the center of that show and has been for over 10 years 11 years First of all, thank you. And can you tell the listeners why you're not a Teresa fan? So I can just oh my god, mm and ah in the background. <laughs> I it's it's like I hate her. Like I should. <laughs> I mean, maybe I shouldn't say that. But like, so one of my favorite things about the Real Housewives that I think is really interesting is that 
no matter who the housewife is, there are fans that love her and there are fans that hate her. And, you know, even the ones who you think are universally popular, there are plenty of people that hate them. And the ones you think are universally low, there are people that love them. And I kind of understand that. And I, you know, find it interesting when I talk to people who share differing opinions on certain housewives with me. And I'm always open and receptive to, you know, what they have to say. Except when it comes to Teresa Giudice, who is a literal (laughs) criminal and should not be on television. And like, I don't get how you enjoy her. I mean, so first of all, my objection started when she and her husband, you know, admitted fraud and went to jail. And both she and Bravo then profited off of their crime by keeping her on the show, making the storyline being about her going to jail, making the storyline about Joe being going to jail. Try everyone talking about, oh, Teresa's going through such a hard time. It's such a hard thing she's going through, blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah, that wouldn't have happened if you and your husband hadn't broken the law. And so I have zero sympathy for you. And so I think trying to gin up sympathy for somebody who is an admitted criminal is not really great. Yeah. <laughs> well, I know it's, I was just going to say the argument always is, isn't it like, oh, she didn't know and it was all up on Joe and did it, which I, because I'll be honest with you, there's a middle chunk of Jersey I didn't keep up with. So a lot of the particulars of what she did, I'm like, I don't know how real the show is being with me, but I know. Anyway, so you had a second point about Teresa and I want to let well, you Well, no, to that <laughs> point, off. I think you're fair. And I do think that Joe probably snowed her, which gets into my second point in a minute. But I yes. also think that... um at once she knew at no time did she show remorse like did she, she never and i read her whole i came out of prison book like she never said like <gasps> oh wow <laughs> like um you know i shouldn't have done this what i did was wrong i'm very sorry to the victims you know whatever she was always like i can't believe people did this to us you know we didn't really do anything that was that wrong so on and so forth and so i think if she had shown some contrition I would be like, okay, that's fine. But the fact that she's still oblivious to, you know, why she got in trouble, I find very difficult. But the reason I think that Joe was able to snow her is because Teresa is one of the dumbest people I've ever seen on television, ever. (laughs) And, and, you know, I wrote about this in my recap that, you know, you, you saw in that first episode, like her arguing with Jackie and Jackie, who is a person of, I assume, above average intelligence, um, is a lawyer, can make an argument, is trying to argue with Teresa. And Teresa is impervious to logic or impervious to empathy or seeing anybody else's point or realizing that she's a hypocrite because she just can't examine her life and or her actions. And so when you talk about someone like Kenya Moore, who I think is often wrong, but I find fascinating and kind of love, you know, when she's arguing with someone, even when I disagree with her, I'm like, okay, I understand where Kenya Moore's coming from and how she's making this point. With Teresa, it's not like, and that thing about Kenya is like clinically interesting. Like what is up with the psychology of this person and that they're behaving this way. And I find that to be fun to think about. Teresa is just garden variety, stupid. Like there's, (laughs) there's nothing interesting about that. It's like, Oh, you're just dumb and you don't get it. Right. And, and I don't find that intriguing. 
So, but also to your point, and I know I'm monologuing here on your podcast, but <laughs> no, I'm all for it because I agree. So I'm like, carry on. <laughs> um, to your point, I don't think our conver- our opinion is as controversial as you think it is, and there there okay. is a legion of fans that that adore Teresa, and I think they're they're still out there. But based on <laughs> the reaction to my post, you know, there are a lot more people out there. I mean. I got more response to that than anything I've written in a very long time. And I think that there were a lot of people afraid to say that because there are so many Teresa defenders out there. But, and you know, there's probably an element of self-selection and the people that hate Teresa are going to respond and say, yes, I hate Teresa. And the people that don't are going to be like, I'm not reading this trash. But I've also seen on other Bravo accounts and stuff, you know, people would post, are you team Jackie? Are you team Teresa? And there was a lot, more, you know, it was like, 75% Jackie to a quarter Teresa. So I'm, I am heartened by that. But also it was telling that on the show, Teresa's going around talk, you know, saying that Jackie's husband, quote unquote, does stuff at the gym, whatever that might be. And all of the housewives to a woman, even Teresa's friends were like, don't do that. This is bad. So, yeah, you know, yeah, the yeah. fact that Jennifer Aiden, who hates Jackie, was like, bitch, you need to shut up, is very revealing as to how awful what Teresa was was doing was like I even thought I mean I know Margaret is sort of as as we stand now in the show kind of a go between gets on everyone is sort of a voice of reason character but the way she even to seem to physically recoil at the idea of having that conversation to me spoke volumes because you know bullshit and shady shit happens on housewives it's part of the job but even Margaret was like this is nothing. This means this is really destructive and it's not coming from any shred of... She, you could just see Margaret being like, what are you fucking doing? And Teresa's yes. like, why don't I need this stuff? It's like, what... And also, what, as you mentioned in your recap and in some of the comments I noticed, like what that even means. Is she trying to imply that Evan hooks up with guys at the gym? Is it that he's hitting on women? It was just so vague and like... I don't think she even knows. Like, I think she's so dumb. She couldn't even come up with a comprehensive plan. She was just like, oh, I'm just going to say this and see what happens. And like, oh, that was like a not bad Teresa voice. That was the first time I've ever tried it. (laughs) I like impressing myself. She's she's in your head somehow. (laughs) It's also the way, I mean, it's funny. We're kind of joking how she talks, but I even find sometimes, and there are things about her arc in the show that have been interesting. I am quite interested in the family stuff sometimes but like half of it is just when she's trying to talk she's like she's mumbling and like barely able to like articulate anything sometimes i'm just like why are we pivoting so much story around you when you're not a particularly expressive or well not when she unless she's like throwing a glass or wailing out right like you're not a very expressive or eloquent person so it's just not that exciting for me to watch you try and articulate well, and a, a rumor there was something last season I don't remember what it was, but somebody said something and Joe Judice about Teresa or to Teresa that was maybe like a little shady if you thought about it. And, you know, they were like, oh, I, I don't think she like picked up on it. And Joe was like, Joe Judice was like, oh, no, wait, she's going to go home. Or no, Joe Gorga was like, she's going to think about it and she's eventually going to figure it out and then she's going to be mad. And it's like, that's the thing about Teresa is like, she's so dumb. She can't even, like, it takes her, you know, she's like the old dial-up internet where it's like (laughs) downloading a line at a time, you know, and 20 minutes later, she's like, oh, that was shady. (laughs) 
But actually, it's funny you say that because even during the kind of, obviously, the whole season 11 premiere, we get that kind of bait and switch of we know at the top there's a fight with her and Jackie and then we get the tea at the end. And I thought it was funny because Jackie started out really strong in explaining why listen hon this is a rumor you've no base of what are you doing and you could just see it was taking Teresa so long to understand a what Jackie was saying and the minute Jackie kind of said something a little less reasoned that's when Teresa went ah she mean blah 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 like you could just see the cogs turning her head in slow-mo and I thought oh my god was actually Kenya's a great example it was someone like Kenya being confronted with her villainy she'd immediately be like hold on wait like she'd have a bit more energy to it whereas with her and Jackie I was like Although I feel like Jackie kind of lost the analogy she was making made sense. It wasn't well played. And then the minute Teresa got pissed off and she said, I win. I was like, hang on. This is the weird fangirl thing they pulled you up on before. Like ultimately you want to get one over on Teresa as well. Right. It became a bit weird. Yes. And I think that, yes, you're absolutely right. And it was like kind of gross and yeah. But I I mean, I also don't blame her because yeah. of all the shows you know, I, I think that housewives need to realize that none of them are bigger than the enterprise itself. And I think we've seen people like Nene Leakes and Lisa mm-hmm. Vanderpump kind of laid low Vicky Gumvelson in recent years when they thought, like, this is my show. I'm like the one. And be like, no, that's not true. But with New Jersey, I mean, it really is Teresa's show. And it's and it's all about making Teresa happy and getting on Teresa's good side. And then here's Jackie, someone who is actually intelligent and successful. And she has to prostrate herself. So it must be really frustrating for Jackie to be like, I have to make this woman like me who is awful and a criminal and stupid. That must be very frustrating, I feel. I thought that was actually what was interesting about that confrontation and the lead up to it was sort of this weird moment of self-awareness for the show where the where Jackie was like why basically did a, a laundry list of all the shitty stuff Teresa's done and we got montages of it and Margaret was yes. like you're right you're right yeah well how why do we tolerate it and I was like because you're all scared of her like that's why you all tolerate it. like it was a weird self-reflexive moment that you don't usually see on New Jersey Right. But I mean, I feel like it was a self-reflexive moment for the show as a whole. Like, yeah. why do we continue to put up with this when she behaves that way? And yeah. So, oh my God. <laughs> it's going to be a I'm... long season of recaps between me and <laughs> Teresa, let me tell you. It feels like it's going to be a good season. And I will say Jersey is usually kind of lower on my list of housewife shows I get excited about. But last season moved at great pace. And this one, I feel like they actually may have storylines. Whereas a lot of the other kind of shot during COVID shows, it's been a bit of a, oh God, I don't know. Yeah. Like, will they be able to pull this off? Well, and to their credit, they've had the exact same cast for three years running now, which is... I don't know if it's a first, but if not, it's rare. And I think that that shows that the show is a lot stronger than just Teresa. And I mean, you know, there are some great housewives in there. And I gave up on uh, Jersey in those middle years, too. And fans were like, oh, you have to come back. You have to come back. It's getting good. And so I was like, OK. And so I just started watching it again. I was like, "Ooh, girl, you're right. OK, I'm back. Um, yeah. So, yeah, so I'm glad that I reinvested. and But I do think that that is what is great about The Housewives is, you know, people are always like, oh, should I go back and watch? And I'm like, no, girl, just jump in. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just yeah. Like, or watch a reunion and just jump back in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's like, if you have questions, just Twitter me. <laughs> I'll fill you <laughs> in. You know, like just, and I do the same thing where it's like, if I, 
you know, if I just wanted to start watching Dallas, I'd just like watch this week's episode and figure it all out. And, and, you know, and I do think that is one of the show's strengths and how it is like a soap opera and that, you know, if you stop watching for any length of time, you can kind of get back in and, you know, know what's going on. Exactly. And there's so, I always say this to people, I'm like, oh, just watch it this season that's airing. They're like, but I haven't seen the first five. I'm like, oh, no, no, no. There's so many flashbacks. You'll feel like you've seen the first five. Like, come on in. Like, it's it's easy to join. Yeah, they're not going to let you be adrift. And also, and then if you like it, go back and watch the first five. But exactly. if not, exactly. I mean, you're already paying for Hey You. You might as well. <laughs> but isn't Hey You, like, and this is not an ad for Hey You, even though I'm the first ever Hey You subscriber and people think that they pay me. They don't. I wish they paid me. Um, isn't Hey You a revelation? Because I know just from talking to friends in the US, trying to watch Housewives if you don't have a traditional cable package is like, a complete rigmarole whereas here it's like okay there it is in the morning i watch it it's five euro a month or whatever like yeah it's being able to binge it easily is such a joy oh absolutely and just getting it like you know the next morning is great and having it all in one place like all your crappy shows like the bachelor and kardashians and all that i mean it's i joke that when i die i want my soul to be uploaded into hey you like that (laughs) that's where i want to live (laughs) <laughs> same they, do you know what the way things are going we've been talking about Jersey obviously which is like a long standing player in the Housewives world it's season 11 but we did this year well kind of end of last year but we're still in it this year get a brand new city that is Salt Lake City I'm curious I, I don't think you're recapping it but were you watching it what are your thoughts on it it's a first season but I feel like it's been a very strong one yeah no I'm definitely watching it I think it was pretty strong there was some like loose bits in the middle Um, but I mean, we were just dying for something new. And, um, I think it's really interesting because the last few new iterations of the real housewives that we got being Dallas and Potomac, they were both filmed as other shows. And then after the fact, sort of rejiggered to be housewives. So the women didn't know they were going to be housewives until after the first season was filmed, but with, Salt Lake, they announced that they would be housewives before they started filming it. So I think that we're getting the women, particularly Jen Shaw and Lisa Barlow, playing at being housewives in a way that we haven't seen before. And so I think that's a little bit different. I, but I I do think it's been a really good season. I think there are some really great characters. Um, but I think that next season is going to be really interesting because it's going to be... Jen versus Heather, and it's not going to be about anything real. It's going to be about the fact that Rihanna follows Heather and doesn't follow Jen, and that Heather is the fan favorite that Jen thought she was going to be and failed at because she's kind of awful. So um, I think it's going to be interesting to see uh, how that plays out with the women. Yeah, it's funny because I've, I mean, as we're talking, we've one part left of the reunion, but. A, they got a three-part reunion in the first season, which is, is really I mean, and of. they had like eight episodes and there's three-part reunion. Yeah. Like Orange <laughs> County didn't even get three parts. I know. I know. I, I bet you like the Orange County girls are like, huh, cool. All right. That's that's good. Um, But it is funny to think about like that reunion has been really entertaining so far, but so much of it is that classic housewives thing of what they're talking about is not really the storylines. It's the fame and the fandom yes. after. Like Lisa is pissed off that basically... 
people didn't gravitate towards her on the show and she's getting like flamed every day online and Heather's like a little bit high in her own supply already of people fucking love me I'm that bitch and it's like yeah but this will be your downfall because already I can see a change in how she was because some of the stuff she said to Lisa I was like yeah you're right to say that but some of it had an energy of oh no 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 you think you're the HBIC of this group now and it's like the reason we like you is because you're the underdog like you're not getting what we like about you yeah yeah, and I mean, yeah, it's going to be really interesting. Well, and I always say that um, there are a lot of fights on the Housewives that are an HR matter, which it's like <laughs> yes. more about like, who, are you filming enough? Are you, you know, you're doing, you won't do as much as we want. You're not revealing yourself to the camera, you know, and it's more, I I like to view the Housewives less as friends and more as coworkers. And that sometimes yeah. it's like, the fight is actually a labor dispute. It's not like (laughs) an emotional kind of thing. Whereas then on other housewives, there's like, you know, actual emotional kind of uh, stakes or someone's mad at someone for a valid reason. So I think we're going to see a lot of HR matters next year on (laughs) Real Housewives of Salt Lake City. They're actually going to unionize. It's going to be a whole socialist thing on next season of Salt Lake City. They're going to like I seek labor. I would love for <laughs> a cast of Real Housewives to have a union drive. That would be hilarious. <laughs> I think it would be led by Lisa Barlow in full Sundance, like uh, busy, like girl on the go mode. She would be like really gung ho, organ- trying to organize everyone. I could see her bossing them all around. Well, can I just say that my, um, I covered Sundance for maybe four or five years for different uh, media outlets. My husband, there's a, a Sundance channel in the US. He worked there for like 20 years, went to Sundance for like 20 years. Neither of us have ever heard of Lisa Barlow, the queen of Sundance. So, <laughs> Oh, wow. We're getting the tea. We're getting the tea. <laughs> Um, so I don't know whose party she was throwing or what she was doing, but yeah. I mean, I just find Lisa Barlow's extreme self-confidence. I mean, it's partly a cultural thing because it's, it's similar in the UK. Like the thing here in Ireland where we are not as like, and this is a broad generalization. Americans are very outward and confident and like self-assured. And to me, Lisa is the epitome of that when she's like, oh, I was wearing this and this at the party and I know I looks good. And people come to me because I'm so self-confident. I'm like, this is so otherworldly to me to be this self-possessed. <laughs> like, I'm fascinated by it. Yeah, I loved on the first season of Drag Race UK when Michelle Visage was like, you really need to own who you are and how great you are. And Graham Norton was like, um, we don't do that here, love. <laughs> yeah. You know, yes. like, um, so stop Americanizing this. This is not how we roll. Um, but I think the thing with Lisa Barlow is she thought she was coming across a lot cuter than she was. Like, she was like, I'm so busy. I don't talk to my kids during Sundance. And then everybody's yeah. like, oh, you're a bad mother. And so she thought she was coming across like cool and awesome. And what she thought was cool and awesome, like, wasn't. And I think she was playing up that stuff. Like she was, that's what I mean by like playing housewives. Like she's playing this kind of character who's like so boss and so busy and she doesn't have time for her kids. And everyone was like, fuck you, what's wrong with you? And so I I would like to see maybe more of a real Lisa Barlow, um, you know, rather than what we got. So we'll see if she kind of self-corrects maybe a little bit season two, but 
I mean, I doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> right, but isn't that the joy of it in the way it's like, I wonder will these horrible monsters develop self-awareness? And then you're like, I hope they don't. Like in a way, if they did, we wouldn't have a show. So that's the gag. Right. You mentioned, like you mentioned that you didn't run into Lisa at Sundance, but you did mention that you've interviewed some housewives over the years. And I'm always curious, particularly from people who are American because they've had more, the statistics work in their favor of have having had a run-in or an encounter with a real housewife. I have a feeling you have more than one or two that you could maybe tell us about. Oh, yeah. And I mean, being in the sort of housewives uh, realm, I've definitely had some like semi-professional encounters with the housewives. Um, Like I hosted a, um, there was a housewives book that Bravo put out maybe in like 2012. It was a piece of shit. You can still buy it like on Amazon used. But um, so, and they did an event in New York and I was the moderator and it was like Caroline Manzo, Jacqueline Larita, Teresa, who showed up late, um, and <laughs> Alex McCord and Simon Van Kempen from New York. So I met them all. And then Jill, uh, when I worked at Gawker, Jill Zarin was my intern for the day. And we made like a video that sadly no longer exists of Jill Zarin being oh. our intern. Oh my God. Um, and yeah, and then I've interviewed a bunch of them, mostly like on the phone and stuff for different publications. And But in New York, I mean, particularly, I would run into them fairly often. And Sonia Morgan and I have a number of mutual friends. And, you know, sh- you go to like charity events or whatever, and they're just like there. And it's like, oh, hey. And so Sonia and I were like friendly that she knew who I was and I would see her and say, Oh, Brian. And we'd chat and she'd usually be wasted. But this is my favorite Real Housewives. I tell the story all the time, but this is my favorite Real Housewives interaction. We were, I was with a friend, we were at this club, it's called Omar's in um, Manhattan. It's kind of like a Soho house where it's uh, like a members club, which is, okay, you know, rarer in the U S than it particularly is here in London. And so, we were there and uh, Luann used to hang out there a lot. And so, and you had to smoke out front. So I was with my friend, he was really drunk and we're smoking out front and there's, um, and you see a cab open and Luann gets out and my friend goes, is that, is that? And you see her kind of like get ready to be recognized. And then he goes, <laughs> is that Lady Bird Johnson? <laughs> and her face just like dropped. And it was like hilarious. And so we go inside and she was sitting near us and my drunk, obnoxious friend kept screaming like, is that Lady Bird Johnson? Is that Lady Bird Johnson? And like Luann was so mad about it. Um, Can I ask a slightly, maybe this is like, I don't know, a non-American question. Who is Lady Bird Johnson? Lady Bird Johnson was a first lady of, uh, she was a president's wife. Her name was Lady Bird Johnson. And, and would uh, she be like older than Luan? Oh my God, this was like in the 50s. <laughs> oh, <laughs> okay. I was trying to get, at first I was like a drag, maybe she's a drag act. Maybe Lady Bird is like a famous American, like US drag queen. Okay, no, she's a firm, former first lady. Former first lady in the, yeah, 1950s. Okay. <laughs> That's making a lot more sense. <laughs> you know, you mentioned um, Jill Zarin there briefly. Your recaps of New York had this hilarious like, almost horror movie plot line where you would write a coda about like Jill was like basically like hands on the glass watching them or had a whole life around wanting to be on the show etc very funny but I'm get I'm curious if someone like Jill who is a real housewife who's not famous for being self-aware etc 
Did she get that? Was she aware of it? Did she approach you about it? Well, it's weird because she was on like Brandy Glanville's podcast and um, she was like, I should sue them for making up all these things about me, blah, 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 blah. (laughs) And I was like, okay, so Jill doesn't like them. And then she just like randomly DM me on like Instagram or something was like, thank you so much for doing these and keeping me alive in the public eye and blah, blah, blah. So I mean, I don't know what's up with Jill. And neither does Jill. That's the that's the real right. gag of it all. And it's funny because I love writing them and I keep doing them and th- it, they're very divisive. Like some of my recap readers loathe them. And I was like, why do you keep doing this Jill Zarin thing? <laughs> and so like this past season, though, it was like instead of Jill Zarin being a spy, it was Jill Zarin like stuck in her house during COVID. And like like trying to figure out what like, and I think it was just, you know, and that's when my editors really let me do whatever I want. And usually that's just some way for me to work out whatever the fuck it is I'm going through. So, and so that's why I'm like, I'm going to keep doing them because I love writing them and it's my favorite thing to write. And so you just have to deal with it. And if you don't like it, just stop before it gets, you know, when it's going to (laughs) happen. Yeah, just scroll past. It's like, get to the comments if you want. I don't care. Um, Obviously, you've had run-ins and chats and interviews. I mean, I suppose in terms of your work, like the biggest thing you've done in terms of working with The Real House I was, you ghost wrote Erica Jane's book, Pretty Mess, which came out a few years ago. You were featured on the show because of that. Like you obviously would have had to spend quite a bit of time with Erica because I'm guessing effectively you had to interview her for hours on end. How did that come about and what was... I mean, people who listen to the podcast are sick of me asking about Erica because I'm just obsessed in general, but I am interested in the whole ghostwriting process and how you get someone's voice into a book and particularly someone like her who is a bit of a mysterious figure. Um, so her book agent um, was a fan of the recaps and showed them to Erica and then they reached out and they were like, would you be interested in doing this? And I was like, yeah, of course. And so... Then I talked to Erica on the phone on my birthday. It was a birthday treat. Wow. And um, yeah, and it was like, I answered the phone and she goes, Brian, it's Erica Jane. I was just like, oh my God, this is going to be amazing. And I was like, oh, hey. And so, yeah, so we chatted and hit it off and like talked about it. And then um, we met and she was in New York for some business stuff. So we met just to talk about what we wanted to do. And then most of it, I was in New York and she was in LA. So most of it we did over the phone. And then um, I went to LA a few times to work with her. Once I went and like, and then we were kind of, we were under a bit of deadline pressure because they wanted the book to come out while the show was airing. So we had to get it done. I've done a few books, uh, ghostwriting books like since then, but yeah, you just like, just interview her a lot on the phone and I record it and then I have it transcribed and then just go over that and find all the good stuff. And so a lot of it is just kind of like, um, you know, copy and pasting that and putting the transitions in so it reads better and getting it so that it's more, suitable for the page that it is out loud and yeah and then I would send it to her and she would go over it and we'd go over it back and forth a few times and she'd be like oh I wouldn't use this word I'd use this word or and just you know kind of polishing it polishing it polishing it and yeah and yeah so it was the hard thing was getting Erica not necessarily to reveal things like she she was willing to reveal things but she speaks you know, kind of philosophically a lot of the times. And my, the hard part was getting her to tell stories like, oh, okay, here's what happened. Yes. 
you know, but that is true, not just of Erica, that's true of most people. And like getting them to tell stories, not in a way that you would tell it at a dinner party, like you would tell it for a book. And so I usually tell people like, rather than telling me the story, imagine the story is like 10 photographs and describe like each photograph to me, because it's like, you want like all the details and what color is it? And what are you wearing? And how'd you feel? And you know, where were you in the room? And and that's what you need to get to make things make sense for a reader, as opposed to when you're telling a story out loud and you skip over a lot of that stuff be- because you can't spend 20 minutes trying to tell a story at a dinner party. That's interesting, though, because that is an insight into how you get the tone of the person, because that struck me when I read that book was you I felt like it was very much in Erica's voice and obviously you've been very honest about working with her and we'd see you on the show so I knew you were involved but it did feel kind of Erica E for lack of a, of a better term it's interesting too because on the show before and after the book came out there's always been this thing about Erica being like oh she's so like she doesn't open up or she won't open up enough I mean is do you think that's a fair assessment having I mean I'm not saying you two are best friends now, but you would have spent a lot of time talking to her about her life. And that's a kind of a thing very few people probably get to do with any real housewife. Do you, like when yeah. people talk about her not revealing enough, are you like, nah, she actually does? Or are you like, that's just who she is? I mean, I do think that she, particularly with new people, she can be a little bit guarded, I think. But also if you ask Erica anything, she'll answer you, you know? And, and so, um, yeah, that thing about her being cold or her being closed off, I never really found to be particularly true. And it's like we talked in the book about her relationship with her father, who she never really knew, and her having three ways and her first husband. And, you know, like there's all sorts of shit in there. Like, I don't know what else you people want. Um, but yeah. And, and I mean, I always found her to be like, you know, even now when we chat to catch up or she calls me about some business thing or whatever, if, at first she's like, okay, hold on, wait, we need to talk about like, how's your husband? What's going on with you? You know, like she's interested in other people and, you know, she's, she's not at all, like a lot of housewives that I've met, they just kind of want to talk to you about themselves and about the show and, and don't care about you. And I never found that to be the case with Erica. So, um, yeah, I, I think that sometimes that is um, kind of uh, something that people are placing on Erica. Right, because there is an element of projection and how we like pr- process the characters and storylines that, as you say, might not match the actual person or your experience. Yeah, and I think she, she has a reputation for being like icy. And so people are like, oh, okay, you're icy. But I have never... Uh, found that to be a case. But yeah, in terms of like getting her voice, I mean, I was talking to her like several times a week for, you know, six months and reading her transcripts and, you know, and whenever I'm writing someone's memoir, I like, I can just do the voice. And it's like, I start dreaming in the voice and like, you just like get so familiar with it. It's just like, oh, okay. And I mean, it's been a while now for Erica, but I could probably hammer out some Erica Jane. Like if she needed me to write a speech, I could probably, you know, read a few passages from the book and get back in the voice and just do it. Obviously, I mean, the whole, like Erica's sort of public 
stuff at the moment around the divorce and the allegations about Tom and how she may not have been involved with his dealings, etc. is everywhere. And people are talking about, I mean, it's come up on this podcast and I have absolutely no connection to Erica Jane. I mean, what's it like seeing that unfold? And is it one of the things where you're like, I know this person to a point and I'm not going to ask them? Or like, is it weird seeing it play out? Because we obviously don't really know what's going on with it until it's figured out legally and maybe discussed on the show. It's it's an odd story when you actually kind of know one of the players involved a little bit. It is weird in that it's somebody who, you know, we're friendly and, you know, we had a, we work together and, you know, it's like someone, you know, who's going through this thing very publicly. And I know that she really loved Tom, despite what people think, and that this had to be a very difficult time. And I, you know, texted her a few times, especially, you know, when the news first came out, it was just like, Hey, if you need to chat, like, I'm sorry, you're going through this, like, this is really rough. And you know, and she, and this was all happening while she was filming, which I know is always busy for her. And so, yeah, it is hard to see that and to see people think negatively of somebody who, you know, I have always had a great relationship with and think very fondly of. And, and so it has been, you know, kind of strange. And also like, I really have no insight into, you know, what's going on or what she did or didn't know. This certainly wasn't something that we ever talked about. So, yeah. So I think people sometimes like, are like, oh, do you have answers? It's like, no girl, I'm just reading the same shit you are. So, you know, but no, I do think about her and I, I do feel badly for her. And I mean, a divorce, no matter what has got to be difficult. And yeah, I have some complicated feelings around it. Yeah. And, you know, I hope only the best for her. And I hope we do, discover through the show and other means that she wasn't part of of you know whatever tom had going on but from what i can tell you know the people at the law firm didn't even know that he was doing this so i can't imagine that um erica was privy to that but i mean you know i don't know what i don't know so Right. And it's kind of in a way we were talking at length about how we're like, Teresa's a criminal, fuck Teresa. And I'm like, I don't personally, because I'm just biased, want to have that vibe with Erica. But also like we, as you say, we don't actually know. And sometimes when it's playing out in like a legal document or something, it's like the speculation is fun. And I'm sure the show will have a field day with it because as people keep joking, oh, it's a storyline. But like, it's a funny one because I'm still interested in her as a character, but I also don't want to co-sign stuff if it comes out. But I'm like, that won't come out for a long time. And I don't want to just assume off of a gossip blog or something. But I also know Erica well enough to know that unlike Teresa, if she found out she had some part in this, she would feel awful for the victims who he was taking money from. And and I, I would like to think that she would, you know, at least show her remorse publicly um, for all those people that something that Teresa has never done. So I love asking this question to people because for hardcore housewives fans, it's something we think about all the time. And for newbies, I think it's part of the fun of entering into the world. But if you were, you got the call from Bravo tomorrow, they said, Moylan, you're up. We need a tagline. What would you choose and why? Oh, I have one that I've written and I use it all the time. And it is, I have everything except morals. <laughs> That's very Sonia Morgan. I can hear Sonia saying something like that. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Like you workshop that with her. That's my tagline. I should probably write a new one. I should probably write a few, especially as I'm going around promoting the book. I'm going to get asked this like even more. There's a little, so there are like little silly chapters in between all the big chapters in the book. You know, uh, like ones like the, 
uh, you know, top 10 housewives dance singles, but there's one that is like how to write your own tagline. So I should maybe use my own advice and figure out. <laughs> you can do an instructional video using the book. for Yes, that one. exactly. Um, Another fun one I like to ask every guest is um, you're throwing a dinner party tomorrow. You can invite five housewives or friends of or side characters or husbands. doesn't matter who. It's just five people from the Real Housewives universe to dinner. Who are you inviting and why? Okay. Shane Keogh because he's still <laughs> fucking hot as shit. And okay. um, I interviewed him for the book and we had lunch together and it was just like oh, Shane Keogh for hotness. Oh, that's the thing about housewives is like I often don't want, like, what makes a great housewife makes an awful dinner guest. So this is hard. Well, right. Okay, so Shane yes. Kyo, Erica Jane, <laughs> were like boys. And so I would want to, like, hang out and catch up with Erica Jane. Um, who else? Candy Burris, who I fucking love. Oh, my God. Candy is, like, one of my all-time top favorites. Um, oh, and Juan Dixon, also for hotness purposes. Okay, this is quite a sexy dinner party we're throwing here. Yeah. So Candy, who'll probably bring the dungeon supplies. Erica will arrive in PVC. We have two hotties already. This is this is yeah. going well. And then who who else would be? Like, Sonia, I always say, is my favorite housewife. But, like, I feel like she would get wasted and derail the conversation. So Yeah, true. Um, I'm trying to think around of who else that I love. Um, Heather Thompson would be a good dinner guest. A Carol Radzawill, like somebody who you could like have like real tea with. Oh no, know who I would really invite? I would invite like, and I found this true. Well, like while researching the book, is I would in, like invite one of the producers, like a real like they're oh. the ones that have all the real tea and yeah. um, can really like so somebody who we don't. We don't see on camera, but who we feel on camera. And would you want a producer from, because I love all the cities in different ways, but is there a producer from a certain city you'd want either for tea on that city or I'm thinking of maybe a producer on a show where not as much happens because in a way I feel like their job is so much harder. (laughs) Yeah, we just had a slow season. How did you make that work? And they're like, well, let me tell you the real tea. Like what city producer would you want at the dinner party? Well, a lot of them go amongst the different, because all the producers and stuff are freelancers. So they work for all the different production companies. So I would Mm -hmm. want somebody who had worked I would want somebody who had worked on both Beverly Hills and Atlanta so that they could chat with like Erica and Candy and me about what really goes on. And then Juan and Shane Keogh can like make out in the corner. Well, and I also want to ask Candy about like business. I want to ask her about TLC. I want to ask her about Bills, Bills, Bills. Like Candy has stories. So... Yeah, yeah, because she's had a career, like she was in, she was in Escape with like so many other big people who are still big now, like even the fact to me that she still gets checks from her songs being sampled or her and Tiny were like, hey, by the way, we want a credit on that Ed Sheeran song because it sounds like no scrubs. Cheers. Thanks so much. Like, oh my God. She just prints money every day. She wakes up and there's probably a stack of like millions beside her bed. It's insane. Um, If Candy couldn't make it, I would also accept Don Juan as a substitute for Candy. And, and Don Juan knows, Don Juan knows where all the bodies are. I was just going to say, yes. 
<laughs> he has all the tea. Also, Don Juan is an underrated housewife's hottie, in my opinion. I'm like, Don Juan is really attractive and no one well, ever- 100%. I would hook up with Don Juan in a heartbeat. And also, Andy Burris slash OLG is allowed to cater this dinner party. <laughs> I mean, fuck, you'd be eating then. That food always looks really good. Okay, yeah. that is <laughs> that is quite the dinner party. I'm impressed. And we have talked about your book a little bit here and there. We mentioned in the intro, but- um, can you tell us a little bit more about it? Is it an oral history? Is it kind of housewives A to Z? Were you able to get people to talk to you for the book? Or were they like, oh, well, I couldn't possibly speak on the record? What is a book and what can we expect from it? Well, um, I like to say that it is the history behind the scenes and cultural impact of the Real Housewives franchise. And okay. so... Um, I talked to Bravo about maybe partnering with that because I've always had a good relationship with them and they give me screeners for the recaps and things like that. And um, and they were not interested. And in fact, they emailed all of the Real Housewives and told them not to talk to me. So um, oh my that made things a little difficult. But um, I talked to about a dozen housewives, some on, some off the record. I talked to producers, editors, story editors, um, camera operators, you know, everybody who's worked on the show, I talked to former Bravo executives, um, you know, all sorts of people who are related to the show. And yeah, and so it's about the development of it, how it came to be, but also like how the episodes get made, what the, all the crew does, what Andy Cohen's job is, um, how much the housewives get paid, how who pays oh. for the trips, you know, all that kind of stuff. And like, I wanted to answer all the questions that, fans would have about the show and, you know, selfishly questions I had about the show. And yeah. so, yeah, so it was hard getting people to talk to me. Most of them are sort of anonymous off the record. But then, like I said, I talked to a lot of academics who study the Real Housewives and reality television in general. I talked to podcasters and people that make Housewives cards and stuff on Etsy and, you know, semi-professional fans and people that run Housewives Facebook groups and just all of that and how it touched our lives and why we love this so much and, you know, what it says about us that we're invested in this thing that's been going on for decades now. And so I think, so there's, you know, lots of tea and gossip and fun stuff, but there's also some intellectual probing of uh, what it means to be a Housewives fan. You mentioned there that like Bravo were a little bit like not hot on the idea to put it mildly. Like, did that surprise you? And like, is that tricky now? Because also I'm just thinking, I mean, this book sounds like it's covering a lot of ground, but obviously, you know, with Housewives, the storylines and the players change so often. Were you worried about like, oh, fuck, I can't address this storyline. Or is, does that matter when you're doing an overview of of the world in general. I went into it like, oh, I want to talk to everybody. I want like more of an oral history, you know, like, yeah, I want to, I want to have all the access. I want to be able to talk to all the housewives. And like what I initially envisioned was a very different book from what it became. But I think that the book it is now is a much better book. And I think that, you know, I talked to the people who were, weren't afraid of Bravo and who really wanted to dish and, and who really want to tell the fans you know, what's going on and people that, you know, I gave them the opportunity to do it without their name on it so they can really tell us the things that Bravo doesn't want people to be talking about. And, you know, because you'll see like different producers talk about things or things on the Bravo TV website, and that's all vetted by Bravo. And they're very into controlling 
the message and who talks about things and in what way. And so these are people who are really speaking unguardedly what they really think about it. And so I think that that's really great. And because they blocked me, you know, I did find plenty of people to talk about and, um, and people to talk to and talk about, (laughs) but, um, I think it made me go in a bit of different direction and look at it from a different perspective. And I think that that ultimately makes it a lot more interesting rather than just, you know, rereading the things that we all know that Bravo has already put out there. So that book is out in May. I know that it's, uh, is it coming out in Macmillan in the US? Is there like a UK, like Europe release for that? Or if we're, if we're looking to get our hands on it, are we better off just going to like Amazon and getting the American version? We are, uh, there's not going to be a separate release for the UK yet. I'm trying, there's, it's definitely going to be available in the UK on like ebook and audiobook. Yeah. Um, yeah. but I don't know about book books yet. And, um, that's something that we're working out because obviously I live here and have a lot of fans here. And so I want them to be able to read my book. So, um, when I get an answer, I'll let you know, but yeah, it's currently available, um, for pre-order wherever books are sold. Listen, I physical or not that book needs to be in my possession go may because i think the tea sounds like it is extra lit and um, before we let me go obviously the book is out in may people can pre-order it if people want to find you online or find your writing where are spots that they can go to do that um i so i'm currently recapping summer house uh real housewives of new jersey and rupaul's drag race uk on vulture.com those recaps go up as soon as the episodes are done airing. Um, So yeah, you can check those out there. And then you can find me on all social media platforms at Brian J. Moylan. Listen, we have talked far more than I planned, which I'm excited about, but I'm aware I've taken a lot of your time. So uh, Brian Moylan, thank you very much for coming on Housewives and Me. Um, Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. That was my guest, Brian Moylan, on this week's episode of Housewives and Me. Thanks again to Brian for joining me. And as I mentioned, the book is called The Housewives, The Real Story Behind the Real Housewives. It is out on the 25th of May. You can pre-order it on places like Amazon and the likes of that. And I'm sure if you wanted to, you could maybe say to your local bookstore, let them do imports and get in American books and that kind of thing. So if you want this book, you need it in your life. And of course, Pretty Mess, which is Erica Jane's uh, memoir. Brian co-wrote that and I think you can get that in most places online as well. If you like what you heard today and you're on Apple Podcasts, you can leave a rating and review. I'd really appreciate it if you did, because that is a huge help for getting word of mouth out about podcasts like this. And of course, no matter where you listen to podcasts, you can subscribe, follow, all that kind of thing. New episodes come out every single Tuesday. If you want to follow the show on social media, you can do so on at Housewives and Me on both Twitter and Instagram. And if you want to follow me, it's it's Connor Behan on Twitter and Instagram as well. All the links and all that kind of thing are in the notes for this episode as well. So thank you so much for joining me for another juicy, thrilling, gossipy episode of Housewives and Me. Until next time, stay safe, keep watching all things Housewives, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye.